Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Inchain podcast. Today I have Pranav with me. Pranav is the co-founder at, and managing partner at Woodstock Fund and today we are going to talk to him more about his experience running his fund and you know he has been backing projects very interesting projects recently and uh, yeah we'll we'll talk to him more about that and his investment thesis and and so on. So first of all thanks Pranav uh, for coming on our call and uh, yeah great great to have you. I know thank you very much for this wonderful opportunity and I think one thing that excites me about this space is youngsters who are doing amazing stuff and Anna I really followed I've been following you for the past 6 months to let's say about a year and some amazing stuff what you have done so far for for people who might not know about Woodstock and you know yourself um can you give a background and how you got how you started how you started with it you know how you even got into crypto and stuff So uh Arno I think uh, let me take a slightly uh, longer route to share with you because this is very close to my heart. So in many ways uh, I mean uh, when I started my journey journey as an engineer I was extremely interested in technology and I wanted to get to the bottom of it and really understand the intricacies. Then I figured out that in many ways uh, the kind of research which was happening or the kind of uh, focus that was on technology was more I would say uh Uh, theoretical and it was less about practicing so it sort of you know veered me towards management side so i started you know reading a lot about management and stuff very early days in my journey which is almost like seems to be like previous life almost like you know two decades back and then uh, i was uh, you know sort of uh, got into that rabbit hole really loved the whole aspect of engaging with people getting the best out of them and then uh, the next thing was uh, i consciously chose to be Uh, into a uh, technical sales for let's about three and a half four years. Renewable energy. I was in machining side, etc. Gave me a very good understanding of how manufacturing, the you know very uh, foundational technologies actually play in terms of uh, creating real products and services that we all consume. It was very interesting, intriguing, but it was also a bit more complicated, and it was very clear to me that I, I wanted to understand finance a lot more. So the next thing I knew was I joined. Uh, uh you know uh then i went for my mba abroad i was you know there uh, for a couple of years i was in philippines kenya and issues from manila i was in hcc paris and you know had a you know great exposure both in southeast asia as well as uh, in europe and you know it made me understand that ultimately there are two sides of this coin one side of uh, it is technology and what's you know what it creates and the second part of it is about how do you understand the money and how money works so then subsequently this led me into uh, choosing a career path of financial services which spanned about a decade and a half and within that i've been across the spectrum when i started my journey i was formulating the forex policy the risk management policy of you know a chemical business of you know one of the largest conglomerates in india from there into corporate strategy looking at you know acquisition of you know coal mines or let's say uh, focusing on due diligence of you know larger Uh, you know companies which are into resources etc and then finally looking at capital budgeting and then over the span of 15 years me and across the spectrum private equity asset management both offshore and domestic asset management is very closely involved when dubai and singapore offices you know were set up i was spearheading a team uh, which launched a debt fund in korea so all of that was heady experience accelerating accelerated experience a lot of st- stuff you know happening parallelly i was involved in post merger integration of a broking business then i was you know there in the structured finance desk engaging with some of the top bankers and seeing that which one we can coach as as a business uh, you know so that you know we can kick start the structured finance operations of course it has 
uh, scaled up you know by miles you know as we speak now but i was finally heading sme insurance across india and it was slightly a different take at the whole whole thing because we built a protection counseling program we set up a university it was a three tier program etc so i was always looking at creative ways of solving problems and seeing that how i can be closer to the customer rather than you know being closer to the shareholders and this whole distance between the customer and the shareholder really, really bothered me because i always wanted to position things that really matter to me to people somebody told me that you know if you can't consume the product that you buy that means there is something either there is something wrong with you or there is something wrong with the product so eventually it led me into a direction where i was investing into fintech space i invested into uh, three opportunities one of them you know really worked out well couple of them you know, hit a wall with the uh, incumbents in many ways the banking system because the cost acquisition the customer is very high it made me realize that ultimately all of this looks good the innovation is happening but you need a very different kind of an architecture a kind of a structure in place which sort of you know uh, uh, is an independent stack just to put it simply then i landed up discovering bitcoin and uh, what intrigued me at that particular point in time was not the price of bitcoin but an amazing implementation of game theory so the i would say the the, the economics uh, the, the person who appreciates the economics within me and appreciates the game theory which is the modern economics you know made it made me understand that so many participants are so intricately involved into this uh, technology which we call as blockchain or bitcoin uh, as one of the earliest you know uh, derivatives of it it made me very clear it made me understand that i need to really understand this deep and the next thing i know i knew was that i knew the family office that had invested into zepay which was the largest exchange at that particular point in time these were the heydays you know this was like early 2017 the bull run was yet to begin but early signs were very clearly visible so uh, because i knew the investment director there he got me an audience you know with the founding team of zepay and the next thing i knew was i had a flew from mumbai to uh, ahmedabad purely because i wanted to have this conversation going and i had this rapid fire questions for let's say about 45 minutes and understood that uh, this uh, technology makes sense from not only the reason that i understood which is game theory implementation and miners inspectors all of them involved but also because you can build amazing global businesses out of it you know the profitability of you know exchanges were extremely you can say you know i uh, numbing at that particular point in time and some of the startups at that particular point in time and even today also have you know globally scaled up become huge like i mean some home grown startups in india as well for example like matic has done so phenomenally well built an amazing community taken it forward and uh, so yeah i mean all of this improved me and then uh, the idea was to build an investment thesis i tested out the investment thesis on myself made quite a few investments made money around it and it was very clear that uh, ultimately if this is all where the thesis which is emerging then it needs to be scaled up so then met with himanshu who's also founding partner along with me then met with other team members and all of us you know came together that you know let's aggregate a limited amount of money invest it let's see how this pans out from a thesis point of view so that thesis has panned out well we are sitting at about 10x right now and uh, because we got a lot of interest from family offices and institutional investors some of them are old colleagues from my previous life if i may say as in uh, financial services days and some of them were the relationships in which you know i have built over the past year or so and uh, they wanted to participate uh, with a very structured team with absolute focus on legal compliance with a very disciplined approach towards investing not only choosing the opportunity but also having a firm focus on exit strategy 
So here we are focusing on the second fund uh, and raising 25 million there. I think that's that's an exciting story. So this fund, you st- when did that start? Like I, you met with the Zeppi team in 2017. And then like, how, how did this start? Like, uh, I think it's it's still recent, right? Like, um, and uh, like, you know, many of us who ha- who joined during that 2017 time, I think 2017 to 19 was quite painful um, to, to be in crypto, but you started a fund and uh, yeah, you, you, st- you have, you have uh, been successful as well. So yeah. How, how was that story? Yeah. So 2007, I think one thing uh, Arnav is very clear and I think this is the message I also want to give to everyone who is an investor and not a speculator is that typically if you want to create wealth, you need to be in the market for at least two to three cycles. So somebody who has been there for three to four cycles, you know, he told me that uh, if you're very sharp, if you're very capable, then two cycles are good enough for you to create wealth. But if you want a very, if you're a very disciplined person, in many ways you are there and you're also doing other things as well. You need to be in a category or into a marketplace for at least three years to make money. And for the first two cycles, or let's say for the first cycle, at least you will lose money. So, you know, so that's, that's the, uh, I would say the insight you know, I will give. So when I say markets, in many ways, this is also a market. A $200 billion market or $300 billion market cannot be ignored. And already people are talking about a trillion dollar market. And I'm saying that, let's say Bitcoin doubles up in a from here, you'll be staring towards, let's say half a billion, uh, you know, a 500 billion kind of, uh, you know, market size in any case, right? So just a question of how this market scales up, how robust the technologies become, adoption ready they becomes, how they converge with other, other technologies and so on and so forth. So this thought process was, was very clear to me even when I stepped into the marketplace. The choice for me was about should I be in this market or should I not be in this market or in some other market. And this market made so much sense because equity markets are very crowded. I mean, of course, can't do anything about it. Commodity markets are very crowded. You know, energy market or any other market is something which requires a lot of, you know, capital intensive. It doesn't make sense. But here I was like, this was a market which was shaping up. I had a fairly good sense of, you know, people management. I had a you know, good sense of, you know, people, whether they're authentic or not, whether they can build stuff or not. That's been my experience in trading over the past 15 years, you know. And I also had a fairly good pulse on how the technology works, how the plumbing of the technology works. So it was coming so naturally to me. And also the other team members, like especially when I met Himanshu, you know, it was very clear that both of us were converging. So it became very clear this was around 2018 end, and uh, it became very clear that we have to come together and we have to start. So very briefly, I was also, you know, uh, working very closely with Mohit as a shared with you. Amazing, uh, I would say, child prodigy from a, a tech talent perspective. He was also, you know, investing into the space. It made me understand that, you know, the thesis that I was focused on it made more sense because what we call as let's say the top 15 crypto in this space is actually these are emerging products. You have to still find, you know, traction in the marketplace. So, so having said that, I think all of these insights pushing forward, it was just a com- so commitment to the market, doing the right thing, building the right kind of ecosystem, investing into teams with, you know, solid code, solving the right problem has been the thesis that has panned out so far. So now we have invested into public ELT, DeFi, tokenization, and Web 3.0 protocols. We have been talking about DeFi even much before this whole DeFi frenzy actually began even the first wave. This is the second wave we just saw, you know, sort of uh, climbing down, but we're expecting many more such mini waves, you know, to uh, continue over a span of time. 
So it's been a fantastic ride. I mean, of course, fulfilling from many quarters. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, many VC funds actually did miss the DeFi wave um, for some reason. Um, but yeah, you, you weren't one of those, obviously. Um, but yeah, let's let's start now talk, to talk about our, your thesis because you know we have start. That's where we are heading to. So, you can you explain like what are the sectors that you're looking at and what's the thought process uh, behind that um, and how how do you think it has changed over time? And you know we can obviously go deeper into each sector. Um, but yeah, what's, what's your overall thought process, uh, when you were creating the thesis, um, like how did you identify that? Okay. These three or these four or five things sectors are going to, you know, get big. Yeah. So I, I think so. I know I'll uh, step back. So let me share that our thesis was not, was not blockchain. Our thesis has been, uh, so let me share by the name Woodstock. Let me start from there. <laughs> So I think the name Woodstock, you know, comes from this festival uh, which happened in US, right? And this uh, Woodstock festival happened sometime around when the whole country US was bought on. Bought on, I mean psychologically bought on because uh, in let's say the what happened in Vietnam, etc. And there was a huge generation which didn't want wars. They wanted growth. They wanted innovation. They wanted empowerment. So various things. Uh, they wanted inclusion. You know, they wanted to experiment on uh, various things. Take it forward, taking, taking it forward. So the experimentation, there were other sad sorts of experimentation also that happened. This was, you know, in the early days of the baby boomer generation, hippie culture, whatever you call it. But there was the other side of uh, experimentation, which was around uh, focusing on innovation. The entire baby boomer generation was around creating possibilities, creating organizations for wealth creation, right? Hacker community emerge, which was about creating those hacks as in those possibilities the good hacks and the bad hacks, you know, uh, dabbling with technology, hardware, you know, in integration between hardware and software, all of this came together. In many ways, it defined US, the way we know it, as a hotbed of innovation, right? So, so the point is that in many ways, I mean, it was geographically limited, right? But now if you look at it in a hyper-connected world, uh, you know, I mean, while we have been able to uh, spread COVID extremely fast, as humanity, we also are capable to innovate extremely fast by collaborating together. So there are no boundaries. For example, today I can have a team member who's in China, another one in Korea, another one in US. And I think that is the real strength of, uh, uh, I would say, crypto as a space. I call it particip participative economy, which is a new reality, right? So I think many people call it blockchain, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies, these other things. These are just manifestations. The fundamental thing is about people willing to collaborate and connect and trust each other and sort of create something which is much bigger than what they could create individually, right? So the macro thesis is around that there's a phenomenal shift which is happening across four parameters. One is uh, social, that uh, if you look at the generation gap, it is you know shrinking in the sense that uh, uh, the previous generation, the new generation, for example, this, the new generation which has come, it is born into technology. Right. So in many ways for them, their ability to interact with, let's say, blockchain, Bitcoin, etc. will be much more higher. So there's a massive social shift which has happened. The generation, the generation gap used to be huge earlier, 20, 25 years. Now it is five years. So, so there's a massive social shift which is going on. Second is on the economic side. There was earlier, let's say, dollar 
I would say, uh, focus because, because the Bretton Woods Conference after World War II, and now it has been all about can there be community-based currencies? Like, for example, if there is a community, can there be currencies which are beyond the money? Can there be other social currencies which could be there? So there's a lot of experimentation, there's a lot of work which has happened in, in this particular space. And Hag, uh, you know, sort of visualized this, and he saw that something like this will happen. So the concept of sound money that we speak about is, you know, something which seems to be becoming much more real because those technologies are now available to us in many ways. So economic shift. The third shift uh, that we is technology, which we have discussed indirectly in any case, which is let's say from centralized institutions licensing, let's say uh, Microsoft being licensed to let's say open source and now open technologies, you know, in many ways. So there's a massive shift on the technology side which is happening, which we are also seeing in blockchain space and convergence of technologies, etc. And I think the fourth one, which nobody speaks about, but I think it's a living reality, is ecology. We have made a irreversible shift you know, to ecology in many ways. And I think it happened largely because of consumerism, industrialization. So there are consequences. Why it is important for us to know is that the adoption of technology will be in the context of the reality, environmental reality that we live in. So all of these four limbs are going through a massive shift. So in that sense, if we sort of, you know, uh, zoom in, uh, what is the holy grail? In many ways, this whole DLT space is like a convergence of all these macro trends. And uh, so in that sense, we came around that there are four areas which uh, will see a shift. And this has been our thesis for the past two and a half, three years, which was public DLT, as in a public network or a series of public networks uh, have to be in place so that there could be more seamless collaboration uh, in place. We call them as public blockchains, but they could be even a holo chain, which is a peer-to-peer -peer technology. It could be a hash graph. So whichever technology it is, but it's a public networks have to be in place. This is thesis number one. The second thesis was DeFi because traditional finance is broken horizontally and vertically, but uh, you can't dismiss the previous uh, financial uh, system. It has to be a bridge with the new financial system, which is the DeFi, which is an extreme end about you know, non-custodial non wallets, about autonomy, about autonomous transactions, about uh, sort of, you know, uh, a lot of people don't want to pay tax. It's almost like a federation of their own. But I think somewhere it's about convergence and creating a middle path where, you know, both traditional finance and the decentralized finance meet. And they address the real issues about financial inclusion of, you know, people at large. So this is the second area. The third area is tokenization because uh, risk, uh, if you've seen successive cycles enough, they have gone from uh, risk on, as in we went through like, you know, we wanted to buy everything that was available in the market to risk off, as in we don't want to touch anything. But ultimately, it is about distributed risk, which is the future. So let's say if you want to own a house, you know, Arnav, let's say uh, 50 lakhs or, you know, one crore, it's very difficult to come back, you know, immediately, unless you come from a well-to-do background or you have savings, etc. But even if you have savings, why do you want to lock in into a single asset? So can you like, you know, invest into, let's say, 20 lakhs worth of, uh, you know, uh, digital security kind of a portfolio. So I believe, at least we believe in the fund that uh, tokenization is going to be a new reality as more and more regulators embrace it and regulators have already started embracing. So SEC has embraced, MAS, which is one of the most progressive regulators in Asia has embraced this. So it seems to be that tokenization is now uh, at the right uh, time to take off. And finally, Web3 the protocols, I think, uh, not much to be said there because there are enough people who are proponents of it. 
Uh, I think a very simple way to put it is that uh, the new internet that we are stepping into is going to be more expressive, more human, more inclusive. So I think in many ways, these protocols that are emerging are uh, building blocks of, you know, getting us there into that kind of internet. So those building blocks uh, will also unlock tremendous value. So these four areas, uh, public DLT, DeFi, tokenization, and Web 3.0 protocols. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That, I think that's a very good um, explanation of your thesis and, you know, how it ties up with your overall thought process um, of, of the world or, or how, how things are going to change in the future. Um, so maybe let's dive deeper into, say, um, I think DLT and Web 3.0, there's already, you know, a um, lot of content out there. And right now, these days, it's like DeFi um, and tokenization. Um, so maybe let's talk about tokenization first so for tokenization what like what sort of interesting projects have you seen already um and and in terms of uh, so definitely we hear about real estate tokenization um and uh, some some other like tokenization i don't know maybe stocks or something that people say might happen as well but uh, yeah, what what do you mean um, when you say tokenization? What sort of projects are are you thinking of um, that that might emerge? Yeah. So I think just to demystify this, uh, secretization has been around for the longest period of time. As in, uh, mutual funds have been secretizing their credit card asset portfolio, or let's say their automotive loan portfolio for a fairly long time. They have been buying it as well. So they have been trading, they have been buying. So it's been around for like decade and a half, two decades. So fundamentally, that approach towards buying a micro, a small piece of the larger portfolio has been in existence for a long period of time. So there is no innovation there. The real innovation is that how you can make uh, the generation uh, of this, uh, uh, basically getting the securitization done and the distribution to the target audience, which could be based upon their risk profile through a technology in a manner that you know there are no middlemen. So I think that is where tokenization comes in. So tokenization, what it does is that it addresses two problems. One is that uh, it securitizes in some ways, or let's say you can say unitizes you know, larger assets into uh, more consumable uh, kind of you know, uh, bytes. And the second is it also creates a very seamless mechanism to distribute digitally, right? So you can own that particular security or let's say that is basically a claim on that particular asset or claim on that particular revenue uh, stream of that particular asset, you know, uh, on in your wallet. And even if let's say you lose your that you know digital security, you can always get it back, right? In many ways, because it's a question, it's a it's a contract with digital contract which is available to you. So I think so. The why am I going into this detail is just to give you a sense that we are as tokenization, we are layering on something which has already been built. What the industry, what I would say the industry as a whole was waiting for regulations to be more clearer on this aspect. Because you can't tokenize and distribute. Ultimately, if you want somebody to own the asset, right? The ownership, cascading the ownership through, through technology has to be recognized in a legal framework. Right? And so I think this is, there is a lot of shift which has happened in this particular direction. So, uh, it's pretty simple. Now look at it this way. Let's say if I want to invest into it. So you, you gave examples about, let's say, real estate. The most obvious case, I totally agree with you in terms of tokenization. But I think look at it from a different point of view. Let's say today you want to buy a bundle of real estate in India, right? So people will say that buy REIT, right? 
But let's say if I want to buy a portfolio of let's say multiple small assets, and I want to create that portfolio, and I want to tokenize it, I want to distribute it to let's say you know a smaller set of people, and I don't want to incur a large cost of going through lawyers and doing all of this. Can I go to a platform? And logically speaking, there should be a platform wherein I can bundle all my assets and get somebody to have a unit ownership rather than finding one single buyer and waiting endlessly, you know, for. Uh, that you know buyer to appear and similarly you as a buyer you putting too much of exposure into an asset that you can't afford to buy let's say you know buying a house for example why can't you go for let's say 10% 20% paid wealth around it and over a span of time as you have corpus and you see a downward market cycle you take a position you buy a house at a significant discount so all of this flexibility in terms of asset ownership is where tokenization is addressing as a problem space now you're right this is about real estate equities bonds which are traditional assets which have been securitized earlier in many ways tokenization is additional layer which gives convenience but it also opens up another space can you tokenize digital assets can you tokenize art can you tokenize nfts for example non-fungible tokens right now nfts will become valuable over some time if this decade is going to be about digitization and digital assets then the digital asset where you can identify you can have unique identity a collectible can be potentially more valuable and you may not uh, you know people at large may not be in a position to afford it so they may land up you know uh, owning a small part of it it's also a tokenization in some ways right so i think the the space is going to open up and it's a question of regulation catching up about the distribution uh, structure as in the banking system and the non banking system is distribute products also catching up um, i'm very bullish that for the next 2 to 3 years this is going to be a massive wave so we recently invested into propine propine is uh, is is part of the ms sandbox and the other investors co investors with us as our bc uh, uh, arm of singapore government and uh, basically they are you know focusing on tokenization they already have a custody license etc and so there are many other players which are emerging in the region but our betters on the regulators who are at the forefront of uh, uh, i would say uh, i would say you know uh, creating the space for the technology to uh, solve the right problem rather than being lagging in terms of you know following the uh, technologies yeah 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 interesting yeah i think i did follow propine i think uh, tribe actually uh, are you talking about tribe accelerator they invested in propine i believe um yeah um yeah i think real estate was i think most of these the issue is mostly on the regulatory side of things right like the technology it's simple but to yeah uh, if the regulators are innovative it's good to work with companies that are you know partnering up uh, with with those regulators and trying to push this forward um and i think uh, if you know some regulators do it it's usually how how it happens that some countries are more innovative and then a model works there and then you know uh, more countries might adopt that model as well in general for nfts as well um, because you know that's uh, that's what's also gaining a lot of traction and for crypto native people um, th- there's like tokenization and like tokenizing things into nfts like real world real is like what you can explain to everyone i think that would make sense but for crypto native people you know we look for um some interesting use cases as well like say having nfts for gaming uh, collectibles and some some other um like crypto punks um crypto kitties and so on so w- what do you think about that as well like uh, for in crypt- in the crypto native economy 
um what interesting use cases or how, how are you looking at nfts in general right now yeah so i so i think i love uh, you you touched upon a very important point and just you know sort of touching upon our thesis we look at from a social point of view like i mentioned that uh, people who are born in this generation or let's say the generation which is like you know going uh, let's say you know stepping in in many ways opening their eyes to technology etc they are born into technology right so so just to share with you there uh, there are quite a few people who are becoming permanent crypto natives now right what i mean by that is and i think both of us understand what it means it means that uh, they will not be using fiat at all because practically when it comes to travel buying stuff the starbucks etc they'll be you know uh, using their bitcoin ethereum etc to purchase things so there'll be these applications which can take care of all of this so it's a basically a shift it is a shift in the mind uh, in terms of how people interact with technology and how much they want to embrace the technology right so so for example we all consume banking products we all consume banking system we think about diversification in the context of owning real estate you know typical portfolio is let's own some real estate let's have some mutual fund let's have some bonds and then little bit of digital assets because it's an emerging space but there are already a set of people who are like i will own digital assets and through digital assets i will own any other asset if i believe they are of utility to me right so so if you now look at it this way now this is a fringe element right now in terms of let's say you look at 100% as a you know total pie let's say there may be 2% a 5% right now when this 5% becomes 25% already this will be a you know a trend which has to be recognized at last and there's always a tipping point and after that the fence setters also start you know engaging taking things forward and finally the rest of the world follows suit we have seen this in not only technology but we have seen this in practically everything that humanity humanity does so my view is that if there are crypto natives which are emerging which can do anything which can live breathe uh, in crypto that itself means that this journey of uh, digital identity in crypto space or let's say uh, through collectibles has begun so this has begun and it is irreversible in my view because this is through internet and every and internet is almost like a fundamental right uh, in many ways in uh, almost all the countries so in that sense if uh, if i want to have an identity so today i look at let's say ethereum and i look at let's say i hold 20 ethereum that's not my identity that's a value in my wallet but if i want to have an identity and if i really like for example it's a godfather as a brand and i want you know that unique collectible which is you know available to be let's say there are about 20 odd you know unique collect- collectibles you know which are there globally i want to own one of them that becomes my identity maybe at some point people will also say that hey i I'll, like people uh, put their designations out on linkedin they'll also put that i own one godfather collectible right so i think just a question of identity how much you identify as a native do you think this has your own world it's like a virtual world that you are living in so the point i'm making here is that as this grows as people find this more interactive as other technologies like ar vr also interact actively with this particular space as individual identity what you know happened through facebook that people have more identity through social media at times than physical identity they may be more clumsy in terms of interacting uh, socially but they are extremely confident very clear when they interact uh, let's say on social media so this trend is already on this trend is going to massively gain so uh, i'm very bullish on nft as a space purely from this you know trend point of view and i think what 
the bedrock is this whole technology which has been built about let's say digital network which is uh, blockchain as a technology or let's say dlt as a, a multiple networks which are there so transferring value from point a to point b or identity that particular collectible from point a to point b is going to be very easy so this is one area of uh, sort of you know implementation of nft the second area is derivatives right so can i have a right using a nft ownership can i have a right not only to value but on the claim of an asset so i can potentially have an nft which gives me a claim on ownership of a house can i have an nft which gives me a claim uh, on the ownership of and it could be even a virtual house and now it's already happening right somium space and various others it's happening sandbox and etc now the thing is that can i have a real house can i have uh, very interesting derivatives can i can i build can i build my own portfolio and can i sell it in the marketplace right through the tools which are available to me can somebody buy a stock of those derivatives which i have built through nfts so my personal view is that this is like a huge rabbit hole and lot of interesting applications will come out of it and tremendous value will be generated okay understood yeah i think that that also gives me a good framework to think about nft space um yeah th- thank you for that um for for coming to defi now so yeah like h- how how are you looking at defi currently so we have you know uh, the total value locked in defi has increased quite a lot in the past few months and uh, the like ave and wifi curve some some products have emerged which solve a real problem um and and they are getting used um and i think they will continue to get used like even for like for ave you know uh, even centralized market makers um like uh, if if they want to have if they have some asset uh, that they are lacking in and they are doing market making on an exchange they can you know use ave to get a good uh, like they can use some of their token to get uh, access to another token that they want to um, that they needed to provide liquidity in an exchange and so i think like a lot of interesting use cases have come up and i, I don't see this actually going down from here but still um if if you have to back more projects um yeah what's what's your investment thesis right now for defi obviously you can you can share whatever you want uh, that if you want to keep some things private <laughs> that that's fine as well yeah yeah no happy to share so uh, anna when we started uh, investing into defi our thesis was that ultimately uh, this is going to only grow from here and the reason is very simple because financial engineering is a very well known field in many ways so i mean of course let's say if you look at let's say people who are mbas who are potentially going to be listening to this podcast or who are engineers but interested in finance and potentially they have been in us etc they would know that financial engineering is a proven field so what it does is that it's an intersection of finance and engineering as in how you sort of rewire finance in a manner that you achieve a particular objective right so accounting is a very straight jacketed field uh, corporate finance is a very straight jacketed field of course there are innovative elements you can be creative around it the structured finance etc but financial engineering is all about creativity it's about building blocks how do you get them together now this whole building block around technology was not available so financial engineering was in many ways the backyard of investment banks and uh, this is where they used to make huge amount of money build their products and all that stuff right now with defi as a space and especially with smart contracts evolving to such an extent smart contracts audit happening there's so such a uh, experienced solidity developers or let's say even other trust developers etc 
you know, uh, becoming sort of a tribe of its own. It's not a scattered tribe, it's an organized tribe, whether you call it Ethereum Foundation or there are multiple other, you know, uh, umbrellas under which, you know, they're organized. It basically gives uh, this, uh, this as a shape of an industry, right? In, so that means that it has given tools in the hands of talented people to build applications, financial engineering applications. Let's look at it this way, why DeFi, right? So now what's happening is that many of the people who first built these applications, they were techies. They did not come from finance background, right? But they, they were crypto natives. So they understood that how crypto as a space works. So out of let's say 100 applications, 10 applications made so much sense. For example, Aave you are saying definitely made so much sense, right? Became valuable as well, market also recognized, compound, etc., and so on and so forth, right? Now the thing is that what are the applications which solve real user problems? These are not plain lending and borrowing applications, right? A more complex applications would be, the, would be the ones wherein you can do, let's say, derivatives. You can create your own tools. You can have, uh, you can aggregate liquidity, right? You can do gasless transactions. Uh, you can uh, uh, potentially, you know, have a very universal kind of an interface. For example, as a Unilend, for example, a universal kind of a, a lending platform, you know, so to say. So different people are solving different problems. And uh, I think DeFi as a space has evolved tremendously. So in the first hype cycle, I will use the word hype cycle. I like, you know, what uh, Jamie, uh, you know, mentions in his article, I sort of very, I concur with him and I also mentioned this to him as well, is that the first hype cycle was about getting the technology building blocks right. So when the market went to, let's say about $800 million valuation and then contracted of it before it went through the next push. So in that zone, the, the technology broke, smart contracts were hacked, drained out, etc. And I think what was a hard learning is that if you're a serious entrepreneur, you need to get your smart contracts audited. And then the next cycle came wherein, let's say we went to a different kind of a frenzy in terms of liquidity mining, right? Uh, and, and then uh, subsequently it has been about, you know, eventually any commercial activity which is not based upon real economic value creation, eventually tapers off. There's a margin utility curve that catches up. But the technology is proven, the governance is getting fixed. So DeFi as a space eventually has a bright future because this is about building rails with traditional finance. So integration with the payment gateways, digital uh, security ecosystem, for example, you know, can be integrated as well. Building uh, AML checks, KYC AML checks. Earlier, KYC and AML checks were mentioned in the same breath, and there was resistance by the crypto natives that you know why should we go for it? But if you want to be aligned with the traditional finance, you need to go for it. So there are solutions which do on-chain AML checks. You need not do KYC. So DeFi has a new elixir in many ways that as long as the AML checks are done well, as long as the money that is coming is all legit and clean, and if you have not done KYC, it's fine. The regulators are creating that kind of flexibility for various applications. So things are all coming together for a next massive wave of DeFi to emerge. So our thesis has been very simple. So for all of, for people or good projects to go through these waves and emerge stronger, they need to have a very strong backbone of a very solid technology team, usually a prodigy developer or let's say at least a prodigy development team, which can really solve the problem with the leanest and the cleanest code possible. So this is one. The second is a business team, which understands how to communicate, how to collaborate with other projects. You know, how do you sort of, you know, uh, build uh, uh, strategically uh, bridges with traditional uh, finance players, etc. 
So these are the kind of teams that we're investing into who have that potential of putting it all together and day in and day out finding ways and means of uh, breaking boundaries and then finally breaking out in the marketplace. So they're also, they also need to be very savvy teams. So we are on, perpetually on the hunt of such teams and backing them. We have uh, recently backed quite a few of them. And I'm just sharing a few names like, for example, Frontier. We are extremely excited about Frontier. So Frontier has been started by our ex-CTO of uh, Woodstock, Ravindra. So he created tremendous impact when he was closely working with us. And when he started Frontier as a journey, I still remember that he had he got this Eureka moment. He was like, Pranam, I want to ch chat with you. And this was like 2, two o'clock in the night. You know, we were in Dubai. And I was like, yeah, Ravindra, I'm understanding what you're saying, what you're saying, but I trust you. So I know you'll do the right thing. But uh, how far they have come and how much they have built and what passion with which you know they have built is truly inspiring. You know, it gives me so much of energy. Frontier is one application. Of course, uh, Uniland is another one. Chandresh, I've known him since Matic days. His energy, his super, he's a, I mean, in many ways, he's like a superman. The way he sort of engages, never sleeps, just gets things done. He's, he's a bull in that sense. So Uniland is another one. When you look at Paraswap, Munir has done an amazing stuff in terms of building a DeFi community, you know, understanding the pain points, building this into Paraswap, you know, as the market, you know, keeps on going through cycles, has been constantly seeing that how volumes comes in into Paraswap. So another good one. Similarly, Alliance Block. I've known Alliance Block team for the past, you know, two and a half years or so. So they're building a bridge with, you know, traditional banks, with, you know, stock exchanges, with uh, private banks, especially in Switzerland, Europe, and, you know, DeFi as a space. So that's another interesting one. And uh, I mean, of course, you know, there are, you know, quite a few, Copeland, for example. Copeland, I would call it DeFi's play, but in a way it is DeFi because people consume the feeds and the data query tool. Uh, so Frontier is a consumer, CoinGecko is a consumer. So various allied technologies around DeFi. So I'm just, I just shared some of the names. So if I missed out on anyone, it does not mean that I, I, I love those companies lesser. It, is, it just means that I'm just being conscious of the time. Uh, that we have in the podcast. So yeah, it's good that we started talking about the names as well. Um, so in general, like uh, I've seen, you know, that uh, you have you have a global portfolio, but in, in terms of Indian projects that are coming up, I see Woodstock everywhere. Like all, all the good Indian projects have, um, yeah, they have Woodstock as maybe not as the lead investor, but um, in, in, in their seed round. Um, so... In, in general, like what uh, what sort of geographical trends have you seen um, when, when you have been looking in investing in crypto? Um, because most of the innovation, um, you know, started at least in the West, uh, Aave, Compound and all these projects. Um, and, and the users were in the East, you know, that when it's it's like when China wakes up or Korea wakes up, you know, then, then when there's a lot of chance that price of things moves um, then. But uh, yeah, so... How, why did you start believing in Indian projects and Asian projects before everyone? Um, and uh, what's your thesis when you are looking for like in uh, geographical trends in, in founding teams? So, uh, Anul, I think all I can say here is that uh, ultimately the innovation is happening into, uh, let's say one is definitely US. US is a hotbed of innovation, that to Valley. Valley has been always at the forefront of innovation. Then the second is uh, UK in some ways, Germany, especially area in and around Berlin is another space. And then France also, some projects have done exceptionally well there. 
and uh, of course korea and even some parts of china we can't miss out you know completely they have been huge uh, there are affirmative regulations in uh, japan as well there are few projects that came out of uh, especially melbourne and sydney so australia as well in a lot of concentration of uh, good quality teams good quality projects i think it's been all about ecosystem so wherever there is a local ecosystem there is a, there is a support system it sort of gives you a lift as a project there is a playbook so you know uh, there is always a playbook to success when uh, the industry is just you know sort of uh, taking off now this playbook is in many ways is known to various people right wherever there is an ecosystem so there is a playbook in for example in many ways this playbook only emerges with experience so across the world we have venture partners our advisors and then also uh, friendly funds they also keep on sharing leads connections etc not about that you know it's one geography versus another but uh, in india why i think that is the question that you're asking and the reason is very simple because let's say a, a significant section of the team is based out of india so we understand the indian ecosystem extremely well uh, so that's one part of the reason the second part of the reason is that india is the largest english speaking dev community in the world and uh, in many ways there is lot of hunger we have not yet reached that point of nirvana from a, from a wealth creation sense as a country so there is lot of hunger there is also a middle class drive to prove themselves right and here is an opportunity in blockchain space wherein you can do genuine work you can create you can solve a genuine problem you need you don't require expensive infrastructure to solve that problem you just need your mind you need some basic tools some basic funding to be available and you know collaborating with you know an existing network globally which is in place and you can unravel your high quality product or let's say high quality platform or application to the world and you know unlock tremendous value so this is the playbook i was talking about so this playbook has been in many ways it emerged because the first wave was exchanges in india and let's say some of the exchanges did, you know did well and i'll not take names which exchanges could not do well etc but the second wave were in matic projects like matic came in i think they created lot of uh, headroom and you know uh, space around the projects to potentially think that they can become successful on the global arena so there was lot of confidence that got built because of matic success and from there i think lot of these this third wave of projects that we are seeing where we have invested into some of them they got lot of confidence that you know if we have the backing we can always reach out to matic we can always reach out to somebody else they can always guide us help us and so we need not fear about what's what the uncertainty is there in the market we just need to keep on doing the right things so uh, so the insight here is that in any market if you invest into the wave 2 it's a sure shot winner your risk is extremely low and rewards are exceptional so this is true for any marketplace so this is also true in uh, crypto market space so in that sense in india we are at a very sweet spot and extremely bullish on uh, these uh, new wave of uh, investments in that we have done persistence is uh, one you know that uh, definitely is there there's one more that we will unveil uh, pretty soon but uh, you know uh, these projects have wings now because they also interact with each other so they have an ecosystem of their own they also reach out to matic for example they have global connections in place and they also have fairly good understanding of what can potentially break into uh, i mean what is a playbook to put it very simply i think uh, they have significantly reduced the risk Uh, from an execution and scalability point of view. Yeah, I think I think that definitely makes sense. That you know, that's what I've also seen. That uh, and I think the third wave will be from people who are uh, part of these startups now, right? Like uh, from initial, then the second wave would 
would be uh, yeah so say fmatic and instead app and so on and then we have uh, some startups uh, like people who were working there then third would be maybe people who are working in the second startups like persistence or unilink or whatever um anyways uh i have like one question that uh, i want advice from you mostly and i think most people as well is how do you stay updated in defi um and like and in general in crypto as well um do you do you also log on to twitter stay there for 3 4 hours or more <laughs> and uh, discord telegram like i yeah is it is it always on or are you just uh, you know thinking long term and uh, yeah just just uh, thinking long term trying to understand uh, or is it a, is it a mixture of both yeah i i think it's a mixture of both and now i'll say that uh, this is like a perfect recipe for a burnout for somebody so i will also take up that point you know uh, after i answer your question so for me it's about somehow discord has died on uh, in my mind uh, telegram is definitely on because it gives a good pulse of you know how community is perceiving a specific project how the team is responsive our esteem and you know from a communication and let's say from uh even from evolution point of view are they concurrent are they missing out on certain pieces it's a good pulse check you know so that's a good one also also some of these uh, you know telegram channels have emerged as a good uh, place for staying updated with what's what's the big news in the industry so i think so i think these couple of things definitely i keep a tab on as somebody using the industry next thing is i you know also have my feeds i subscribe to some feeds so let's say defi pulse of course i track but beyond this you know there are also other uh, specific uh, key words that i've tagged so those news feeds i keep on reading especially something which has to do with regulation in my view is extremely high risk and sensitive in the sector so i keep myself absolutely concurrent to an extent that uh, i can like have 10 hours of conversation only on regulations you know so i go extremely deep there then the second area which is very important is uh, evolution of technology as a whole in terms of what's new which is being experimented with what is the new trend which is going and usually i take out time over the weekends to read specifically on specific areas so that i build a world view so what i realized is that if you build a framework in terms of where things are going there's always a trend which is there you have to basically either you either lead the trend or you follow the trend so my intention is just to spot the trend very early on sort of you know build a hypothesis test it out and then finally be ahead of the trend as much as possible so in that sense one thing which i definitely do so that i don't burn out by overthinking etc is you know yoga is a very important part of my life so i've been doing practicing yoga for the past 10 11 years eating right sleeping right etc has been a very important part so keeps me balanced but it also helps me to zoom out and 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 look at things the way they are you know without getting too drowned either in greed or in anxiety or in terms of you know comparisons etc you know so just to share with you for example you mentioned that woodstock is in various projects it's been investing etc to be very honest it does not make any difference to me in personal side and it's not about personal glory for any anybody of us in the team it's all about our passion it's about backing best of the teams we are a conduit what is our role we are custodian of lp's money we are not here to create a name for ourselves so in many ways many of the many of the industry companies you sort of insist that you know please take off our names when you are inserting those quotes because this is not about personal glory because this and this is just a beginning of a long journey right so we are maybe one and a half two years into this if we can continue this momentum for the next 5 years 
give me give you in a very formidable position where people who come into woodstock fund who join woodstock fund they find a lot of meaning lot of fulfillment i think that would be more fulfilling because eventually wealth creation has its own marginal utility and uh, so i hope i would answer your question by touching upon something which is also valuable i think don't burn out is my limited point don't burn out just focus on the right things this is one of the many things that you do in life and uh, so that you can create something valuable it's very important for you to zoom in and zoom out you need to have both abilities okay gotcha gotcha yeah i think i think that's that's good um yeah i personally also now for the past one month i yeah, i think i was i got a bit burnt out because you know the sushi thing and then everything that started was so much stuff happening but um now i think it's uh yeah people you need to create your own methodology of staying updated like for me i just create some twitter lists and then you know i just uh spend some time in the evening uh, or at night just to see what's happening and also some uh, substacks that i've subscribed to um that covers things quite well uh, pranav um how how can people reach out to you and uh, yeah any any other interesting thing you like to share So I think uh, only thing I would like to share is that uh, whether it is running a fund or building a startup is one aspect of your life, and you should do whatever you do extremely well with lots of passion, lots of involvement, because that's what you will remember over a span of time, right? And for those people who are in it for the short term, speculating, potentially, uh, let's say you know maybe also erring on the wrong side or being a bad actor in the space, my only suggestion to them is that you have only one life, right? and the best way is that, that you know you utilize your time in a manner that you are able to create something formidable that gives you a lot of confidence to do other things in your life right so my suggestion to youngsters and my suggestion to all fellow builders would be to focus on solving the right problems and uh, doing the right thing uh, and that will take you forward you'll be so much of confidence and so many people will come around to help you and support you in your journey you'll find this as a very magical journey this is what i've experienced in woodstock so many people came around to help has helped me at various point points in life the way the whole team came together and there was a point where nobody cared about let's say you know money or anything they just wanted to build something which was very valuable so it has been a very humbling journey so when you realize that you are humbled by you know in in your journey of whatever you're building that means you're doing the right thing if you're not humbled that means you still have you know a little bit of you know waiting so that's that's the only message i'll leave behind uh, okay cool thanks thanks for now for your message and uh, great great chatting and hopefully we can chat again in a couple of months if you if you have the time yeah yeah thanks so much so enough thank you very much and i wish you all the best and amazing format take care of yourself